0: Hello and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileesTL.org. Good morning, everyone. I'm so proud to be here. You have to be an old person to even understand that phrase. (laughs) Uh, we've been in a series for quite some time about Christians behaving badly, and I'm really glad I didn't draw that slot, and uh, I have the uh, Better Way slot, which uh, it's a relief, uh, slugging through all that. Originally, when the Bible was written, of course, it wasn't written in chapters. Chapters were added later to help us when we wanted to find particular writings. So actually, Corinthians is one large letter of First Corinthians. And First Corinthians 12 uh, uh, 31 blends right into 1 Corinthians 13. It's like one continuing flow. Paul had been talking about gifts. And so the final verse of 12 is, "Earnestly desire the higher gifts." And then he says, and I'm going to show you still a still more excellent way, a better way. And then he continues that thought and says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so I can remove mountains... But I have not love, I'm nothing. That's a provocative statement. Think about that. Understand all mysteries and knowledge, have all removing mountains. I am nothing. And if I give all away, everything I have, I give it away. And if I deliver up my body to be burned for he says, "But I have not love, I gain nothing. I am nothing, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If this is a description of you... <laughs> well, I've, I really find that pretty challenging. This is one of... Them, The most famous chapters in all the Bible about love is 1 Corinthians 13, and that's often read at weddings, and it's on greeting cards, and you may even have it as a placard somewhere around your house, somewhere whereby your uh, significant others can point to it now and then and say, you know. (laughs) But this chapter is is a whole lot more than some kind of a sentimental uh, poem, you know, kind of a gushy thing. In its original context, when you understand Christians behaving badly, how gifts are being utilized, and then this is slotted right in here. There are 12 chapters before, three after, but within the context, slotted in between this teaching on spiritual gifts, 12 and 14, it's it's a pretty heart-searching, gospel-drenched, provocative uh, statement. And it's a call to an immature church which really is not that old of a church. I don't know, maybe four to six years old, I'm not sure. Uh, but, a, but an immature and divisive church, that their priorities are all in the wrong place. And so Paul says, all right, but I'm gonna show you a better way. And it's the way of Christ and, and of love. And thir- 13, chapter 13, stands alone and often is, is seen as alone. But I want you to see that it's sandwiched between these teachings on gifts for a reason. It's it's all a continuous uh, teaching here, and it's vital to understand that. In order to help us understand that, you have to, uh, I think, understand where the Corinthians came from. Uh, The the town of uh, Corinth is just a small uh, geographical area, about four miles, and it was it, was, it separated north and, and south Greece, and so if you were going to go from one place to the other, you had to go through Corinth, and Corinth became uh, a place of commerce, and it became kind of an entertainment capital. It became like Vegas. You go there to make money, but you don't. <laughs> You go there for the clubs and the nightclubs and the entertainment and and the temple of Aphrodite was there which was, uh, she's a goddess of, uh, of uh, love and sex and all that kind of stuff and they had a thousand temple prostitutes there that applied their trade there at, at that particular temple. So it was a fairly steamy place. In fact, Paul writes to them, and he points out in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he begins to list some of the sins there. I don't want you to get depressed, so we're not going to read all these sins. But he, he lists all the sins there, and then he says to this church, he says, and such were some of you, you did these things. But, and I always love when I see the word but, whenever there's a negative in the Bible, but something good's gonna happen. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit. This is a miracle church, really, because of the whole environment of that city of Corinth was so wicked and people were saved out of it. And there were a lot of entrepreneurial, kind of pretty active people, because that's why you went to Corinth. You went there to make money, place of commerce. There were some uh, significant people there. And they were very, very gifted. And God gave gifts to them. But they also had some pretty big issues. They, in the gifts, they had revelations and prophecies and healings and miracles, and they were visionary and they were prophetic. But there were big issues there. And so why we did the series on Christians behaving badly, just to point out. We didn't cover all the bad issues But there's a few there that we covered. And then Paul says to this very gifted church, he says, look, you can have spiritual gifts but account for nothing. I am nothing and I gain, I give everything away. That's pretty pronounced. Just give all your stuff away, all your money away. Or even uh, uh, offer up to be a martyr for your beliefs. And he says, you can gain nothing. Therefore, I find this chapter really, really challenging. Uh, You can have spiritual gifts, but not be submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. You can have faith, you can do miracles, you can speak in tongues, interpret tongues, you can have revelations and insight, you can die for your faith, you can give all your money to the poor. And spiritually, he says, it can add up to absolutely nothing. Now Paul's not down on gifts. Please understand that this is not okay. I'm done with gifts. He simply because he says I speak in tongues more than y'all. He says uh, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, it's nothing, nothing but noise to God. You see, the Corinthians were not using their gifts to build up the church. They were using it for status. I'm a prophet. You should hear the revelation I got last night. Wow. And it wasn't a pizza dream either. This was something. (laughs) (laughs) I believe we can do that. You have faith. You can move mountains. What are you? I have the gift of faith. I have gifts of tongues interpretation. I have all. And so they were using it to somehow form an identity around uh, their gifts. Here's the thing about gifts. I want you to understand when God puts you in a saves you and he puts you in a church community, he gives you certain graces and gifts that we all need. And I want you all functioning in those gifts. We, we, as a, we need that. We need what God has given you to contribute to the whole. So I'm 100% for that gifts. But understand this. Gifts are not earned. They're graces. They're graces that God just gives us. And it's not because somehow we've uh, prayed half the day and read uh, the Bible for four hours and we give lots of money and, and we've gotten mature and somehow God gives us gifts. No, he, he gives us gifts. Sometimes I think he may have sh- shouldn't have done it. <laughs> because He doesn't necessarily give gifts to the spiritually mature. He just gives gifts when he saves you. So spiritual gifts are not an indication of your maturity, and they're not an indication that you've done anything to deserve them. And so Paul says about gifts, the criteria behind their operation is this. It's love. Now, we have one word for love. So you say man, I love the pizza in that place. And then you say, and I love my wife. But somehow it's not the same. Would you agree? (laughs) So we have one word for love, but the Greeks had at least four words for love. And one of them was agape, which is an unconditional, selfless, godly love. And another word was storge, which has to do with loving your parents, loving your children. And another one was Philia, which is friendship or brotherly love, the city of Philadelphia is the city supposed to be the city of brotherly love. And another word for love was eros, which is romantic, sexual, or erotic love. The kind of love that Paul's talking about here is the agape one. It's unconditional love. And unconditional love is more miraculous than miracles. It's absolutely amazing. The characteristics are supernatural. Patience, kindness, that's supernatural. How many of you on the road during a busy day, you're looking for the fastest line and then you wanna scoot over, wanna scoot your car over, and this guy, this bozo over here will not let you in. And you get a little impatient. Am I talking to the right people here? (laughs) Are you always kind? Let me talk to your significant other and we'll verify that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's a supernatural thing. Not being rude, not self-centered, not envious, not irritable, not resentful, not rejoicing in wrongdoing. Hey, have you heard about so-and-so? Not rejoicing in wrongdoing? No. Okay, 1965, all of you can remember this. Bert Bachrach wrote a song that became number one in Canada and number seven in the top 100 in the USA. I would sing it for you, but it would be an intimidation to the worship people. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes like this. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. How many of you know the song? See, there you go. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Isn't it interesting? A secular person out of a secular heart pins a song like this and it goes to number one in Canada and number seven in the USA. Is it striking a responsive chord because we were created for this? It's the essence, it's a hunger in us to be loved. Not being rude, not being self-centered, not envious. No, but to be loved unconditionally is something that's in humanity that seems to not be satisfied unless you can find Somebody who loves you unconditionally. And you see, unconditional love, agape love, is a true representation of Jesus. It's the essence of who God is. When you say God is many things, but at his essence, God is love. And so when you or a church begins to truly express unconditional love, it's a characteristic of who he is, and it makes us as a church. Incredibly attractive. Do you notice when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't come to condemn and the, the prostitutes and the people who were looked down on were all drawn to Jesus. And remember how the kids were drawn to Jesus and his disciples were trying to push him away? Jesus said, no, let them come. Let them, because they're attracted to acceptance like that. They're They're attracted. This is what's so attractive. If a church can really represent and have at its very essence love, we can have all kinds of gifts. I appreciate them. They do help us. But the thing that establishes our true identity is are we loving or not? John Piper said, genuine love is so contrary to human nature that its presence bears witness to an extraordinary power. That's the kind of power I want to see here in all of us. See, when we love each other with the love of God, our lives becomes a testimony to the power and person of God. Too often, what I've seen in the media are bitter, angry, so-called Christians holding up placards and anti-this and anti-that. And the image the world gets is that Christians are judgmental, they're critical, they're mean-spirited. What we need is to see a church that knows how to love the unlovely and be kind to those that are not showing kindness to us. The central desire of every person is like the songwriter said, what the world needs now is love. Is love to be loved. And yet, outside of a relationship with God, we don't really understand how to satisfy that desire. It just isn't going to happen. So when the world actually sees Jubilee Church, a community of love, they actually see it. Caring for other people. Loving other people that don't deserve our love. That is so irresistible and powerful. Can I just say, All the gifts in the world manifesting at their peak cannot come close to the power of a church that manifests love like that. To love someone who doesn't deserve it. To forgive the wrongs that were done to you years ago, the abuse, the things that have happened to you years ago or last week, and and to forgive all of those wrongs, not demanding reparation. Well, they should pay. No, no, not there. To love the unlovable. It's supernatural. It's miraculous. And it can only come from your relationship with Jesus when you see how much he's loved you. In October of 2006, a despicable thing happened. A man named Charles Roberts burst into a one-room schoolhouse, ejected all the boys, kept 10 schoolgirls in this one-room schoolhouse, Amish schoolgirls, and he shot them. And then he shot himself. But in the hours following that shooting, something really unexpected happened. In the midst of their grief and their shocking loss, the Amish community did the unthinkable. They didn't blast or blame they didn't point fingers. They didn't hold a press conference and gather their attorneys around them. Instead, they reached out in love and grace and compassion that very day to the killer's family. They went to what is now the widow's house and expressed comfort and love toward that family. The afternoon of the shooting, one Amish a grandfather of one of the girls expressed publicly his forgiveness to the killer, Charles Roberts. And that very day, Amish neighbors visited the Roberts family to comfort them in their sorrow and pain. And they brought food, and they filled the mailboxes with words of comfort. Later that week, the Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the Amish girls. And at the funeral of the killer, Charles Roberts, Amish mourners actually outnumbered the non-Amish attendees at that funeral. Several families, Amish families, they hugged the widow. They brought comfort to the kids of the killer's family. After Charles Roberts had brutally murdered these ten innocent schoolgirls, almost immediately they forgave and they showed love. How many of you know that's supernatural? That is not normal. That is supernatural. And so the story continued. In, in fact, what the reporters are saying, how could they forgive such a terrible, unprovoked act of violence against these little girls' innocent lives? And the Amish culture says, we believe the teachings of Jesus who taught us to demonstrate love and forgive one another and to place the needs of others above ourselves. And we rest in the knowledge that God is still in control and he can bring good out of a situation like this. Love and compassion is the theme of our lives. They said vengeance and revenge is left to God. (laughs) This tragedy... The, the world was inspired by the degree of supernatural love and forgiveness. This Amish community donated money to the killer's widow and her three kids. There are other side stories, I just don't have time to tell you. That's an amazing story. Verse 7 love bears all things. Verse 8 love never ends, it's supernatural it's more miraculous than miracles. Without love, the service you give and the gifts that you have mean nothing. Without love, our faith means nothing. Without love, we're not expressing the very essence of who Jesus is. Gifts become meaningless without love. It's the very essence of who he is. It's it's undeniably attractive. Supernatural force. Please understand, I want you to exercise your gift, but it's through this element of the love of Jesus Christ that wants to serve and bless others, not out of status. Not out of, this is, I've got this gift. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift of grace, see. Just as we don't deserve the love of Jesus. When a church community loves like that, It becomes an irresistible attraction because the world craves it. What the world needs now is love. Not just for one, but for everyone, even the unlovely. So when we look at Jesus, when we love, then our lives become a testimony of the glory and sacrifice of Jesus. It demonstrates that you understand God's own grace and mercy to you and we do it unconditionally. Now, how does this apply? Well, let me just speak to a couple of types of people, then I'm gonna leave you with how this can be cultivated in your life. Uh, Western culture is a performance-oriented culture. If you don't believe it, just look at bumper stickers. My my kid is an honor roll student at such and such a school. You, it, the High performance deserves recognition, so, you know, it's a performance-oriented culture we live in. And we can focus on our gifts. And people come up to us and say, wow, you're so gifted. Thank you for serving us here. And, and we are grateful. We just had a gratitude banquet for those uh, who serve. We're grateful for that. That's not the issue. But if your focus is on who you are and what you can do and the gifts that you have and that you're doing things and you're giving your time and you're gifted, and if your focus is there uh, and that's why you're serving, not out of this heart, but that's why you're serving. And, uh, and what if you're not recognized? What if somehow you've done something and no one seems to have noticed? What if you uh, compare yourself with others who seem to be more gifted and you feel less than? You have hurt feelings. You get offended by others. A performance-oriented attitude requires affirmation from what you just did and it's a trap you aren't drawing from God's love you're actually working for your value and identity from the gifts that he has graciously given you that you didn't earn them in the first place is the joy of your life your love for God or is it validation from the way you serve sacrificially and how you give see then you aren't drawing from God's love you're drawing from your gift, your service, for your identity, value, validation. And I know what that's like, personally. When, uh, as, a, as a young preacher, not mature, <laughs> all preachers are mature. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I would work so hard to preach a good sermon. And what I craved at the end of that was validation. Oh, Pastor John, that was just so blessed me. That's so helpful. I'm going to send that tape to my uncle, my cousin. They'll never wh- listen to it anyway. I'm yeah. going to send... <laughs> and I- but when I laid an egg, which happened a good portion of the time, I, I just couldn't get over it, you know? I just... I, I wanted... I needed to receive my validation from whatever gift of communication I had. I needed that to feel validated somehow. My identity was in that. I remember, I'd get so nervous at times if somebody I felt was important in the audience that I'd actually throw up. And one day, when I'm going through this turmoil, Jesus talked to me. And he said, John, it's not about you It's not about your gift. It's about the fact that I love my family. And whatever gift you have should emanate from that to bless them. I wasn't central anymore. God's family became central. You know what? I haven't been nervous since. And if this sermon is a goose egg, I'm going to forget it as soon as I walk out the door. It's not my focus. I want to see you helped. I want to see you. but I want to see this church. What they can say is known for the fact. Not this church is so gifted. No, I'm grateful for that. But I want to hear this church is so loving. See? Then there are people who don't focus on who they are. They're focused on what they're not because we compare ourselves with others. I can never do those things. No, I can't do that. No oh, I'm just not gifted, it's just not, I'll never be a leader, I'll never do it, no. But you realize it's, you have the same issue as the gifted people have because you're focusing on what you're not, what gifts you don't have as a place to get validation and identity and you feel less than because you're not as gifted as others. You make that the measurement. But let me just tell you, to love God and to love unconditionally is so powerful that we all can do that and people are so amazed because it's not normal. It's supernatural. It's more miraculous than miracles. It's a better way. That will change the world. People say, how can you be so forgiving? This person wronged you. How can you be so kind to their rudeness? It becomes a testimony. See, that changes the world. Miracles Gifts can attest to the manifest presence of Jesus among us, but but Jesus said in John 17, he says, if you love one another, the world will know that you're my followers, not if you heal the sick or raise the dead, but if you love one another, that becomes it. And see, everyone can do that. What if everyone who knows us sees in you the love of Jesus? It's supernaturally kind. The loving kind is supernatural, joyful, not critical. You see, where this works is, people who have the agape love of God in them and are manifesting it, they don't have a critical bone in their body. They're not judging. Because they're loving. Criticalness and judgmentalism and all of that emanates from a heart that somehow has not understood the unconditional love of Jesus. It is supernatural work of grace, the unlimited power of love, a loving church models, and when you exemplify it, it makes us irresistibly attractive to all the world out there who wants love. Okay. Bottom line, how can you become a more loving person? I'm sure there may be three or four in this church that think, well, I probably could become a little more loving, right? Maybe a few more. Keep your hand down, Brian. (laughs) It's really simple. The more you see Jesus and recognize what he's done for you, the more love will grow in your life. 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it like this beholding the glory of the Lord, you're spending time with him, you are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You can't spend time with Jesus and not become like him. Wherever your focus is and what you're spending time with, that's what you become like. And so as you spend time with Jesus and as you begin to meditate on his unconditional love for you, it begins to change you. and you begin, you begin to say, the love that, he, that you understand he has for you, you begin to have for others. It's just an automatic thing. God's love for you, his pure love, extended in a nonstop, never-ending basis on you, regardless of unconditional and not based upon performance. Well, I don't know how God could love me. Well, I don't know either, but he does. <laughs> That's the way it is because the very essence of his being is his love. And so that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian, a real follower of Jesus. It's not power, but love. It's not gifts, but grace. God's power did not bring Jesus to earth, but his love did. Love is the essence of Jesus. So when Jesus is asked by a lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And then John 13, he said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people, by this, this, nothing else, by this, all people will know that you are my followers if you have love one for the other. By the authority of the word of God, what Jesus said, I want to command you (laughs) that you love one another. Just do it. God never commands us to do something that isn't possible, and by our being with him, he changes us, he transforms us. What did I do to deserve this? I don't deserve it. Nothing bad, there are consequences to doing bad stuff, but nothing bad I could do that would cause God to love me less. And there's nothing good that I would do that would cause him to love me more. He just does it. God's pure love for the imperfect and without distinction and without calculation. And the more you see that, the more you understand his grace and mercy, the more you see how much he's loved you and you spend time beholding Jesus and it becomes your focus, the love of God dwelling on his grace and mercy Toward you, it transforms you. You become like what you give yourself to. Give yourself to him. Worship him. Meditate on his goodness. Meditate on his... You don't deserve it, but he gives it. His love for you. Final statement. Tim Keller. Tim Keller said this. Before love is a behavior to a Christian... Love is an experience. You have to meet love before you can ever do it. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus, and you, you say, I just, I don't know how to love that way. You have to meet love before you can ever do it. I want to encourage you to meet Jesus today. There's going to be some baptisms here, people who met Jesus. You can meet Jesus today too. There'll be time for people who want to pray for you as well. I want to say if some of you have been convicted and provoked by what I've said today this is not a judgment it is an encouragement where to get your eyes off of yourself off of your abilities or lack of get your eyes on him he just loves us when you're loved unconditionally that way you can't help it flows through you to love others. May this church May the characteristic and essence of this church will be how they love one another. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Man, you've given me grace. You've separated the sin. You've forgotten the sins. You've cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, Lord. You just love me because you do, not because of my performance. You give me mercy when I I didn't deserve it. I deserved justice. You loved me when I was unlovable and was really your enemy. How can I not love others and give mercy and grace to others? Thank you, Lord. This indescribable gift, the power of love that sent you to this earth for us. Amen.